Bibles and open them to the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. This morning we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 20. The message is entitled, The Joy of Christmas. Joy to the World is one of my favorite Christmas songs. It's literally sung around the world. And it should be a time of joy because Christmas is when we celebrate the birth of Jesus. Jesus' entry into this darkened world brought about the opportunity for all of us to come to know Christ as our Savior and be restored to relationship with God Almighty, the Father. And so it's a time of rejoicing, a time of celebration. But sadly, the Christmas season is not a time of joy for many people. As a matter of fact, there are millions of people around our nation who really struggle at Christmas time. They feel depressed and discouraged. It seems as if the devil works overtime to defeat and destroy the joy from people's lives during Christmas, more so than any other season. I've been told that December is the highest rate of suicide of any month in the year. Isn't that sad to think about a time when we should be celebrating the birth of Jesus and all the joy that comes with it, but yet it has turned into a time of despair for many people. Well, I hope that's not the case for you this morning, but if it is, I want you to know there's reason to be joyful, and we're going to talk about that this morning as we look into the Word of God. Now, sometimes we assist the devil in his work when he's trying to defeat us and discourage us, and we know that uh, a discouraged Christian is a defeated Christian. But I know that the commercialization of Christmas along with holiday stress and even self-pity that we all sometimes can be subject to are reasons why we lose our joy at Christmas. And rather than keeping our focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the source of our joy, we can focus on things that really can discourage us and defeat us. I want to challenge you this morning. Don't allow your minds to be focused on the circumstances of life. I mean, we all have circumstances that are challenging, certainly more so for some than others. But we all have difficulties with which to contend. We all have sorrows and despair. We all have disappointments in life. That's a part of the human condition. But I'm telling you that the Lord Jesus Christ, the relationship we have with Him, can give us joy in the midst of difficulty and sorrow. Jesus has come that we might have life and have it in abundance. And even though our circumstances are not always what we want them to be, joy is still possible when we keep our eyes fixed to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's good to know that as we look at this passage of Scripture, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20, we find the story of Jesus' birth at Bethlehem. He was born into miserable conditions. The world was not a very pleasant place then. Darkness prevailed. But into that darkness came a brilliant light that is still shining to, to this day. And God sent forth joy into the world, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to show you a few things in this passage this morning that should be a source of joy for you as you contemplate these truths of Christmas and apply them in your own life. First of all, let's look at the arrival of joy we're in Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 1 through verse 3, the time of the arrival. 
Now, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. Every 14 years, a census was taken. It was beneficial in a number of ways, not the least of which was for military purposes. And when a census was taken... It was important that the people recording the census get information about the family name, their occupation, their property, and other family members that were involved. And so this census was a very important thing to be uh, taken by the government so they could gather that information. Verse 2 tells us this was the first census while Quirinius was governor of Syria. That kind of places it as to when it happened. And verse 3 goes on and says, And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. So this was something that involved everyone, and, and people had to go back to their own city of birth, their own lineage, uh, where it was located. And it happened to be that Bethlehem was the location that Joseph had to find in order to register for the census. So this is the time of the arrival. Then we see the place of the arrival, verses 4 and 5. Joseph also went up from Galilee from the city of Nazareth. Galilee was a, was a region and still is in the, at, at this particular time where the city of Nazareth was placed. It was within the region of Galilee or, and, and within close proximity to the Sea of Galilee. So that whole region was known as the Galilee region. And so that's where Joseph lived. That's where Mary lived. They met there. Joseph was a carpenter by trade. He was a man that was skilled with using his hands and producing things. And so that's where he was, Nazareth. And by the way, Nazareth at that time was a very small village. Today it's a thriving city. But in that day, it was a small village, and it was kind of looked down upon, especially for people who were uh, around the Jerusalem area, the Judea area. They would look down upon it. Remember, it was said of Jesus that uh, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Nazareth is located about 90 miles to the north of Bethlehem. Bethlehem is just to the south of Jerusalem. So it was a, a pretty strenuous journey to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem, especially when you were taking with you a woman who was pregnant and great with child. And so Joseph went up from Galilee to the city of Nazareth to Judea. Now that's the region where Jerusalem is and Bethlehem is, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the, of the house and the family of David. Now, this is a, an important notation because remember the prophecies of old said that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem and that he would be from the house and the lineage of David. And here again we see confirmation of that being the case. And that Jesus fulfilled uh, the prophecies given in the Old Testament hundreds of years before. Jesus came on the scene, and of course there were uh, somewhere we're told concerning the, the birth and life of Christ over 300 prophecies 
about him and Jesus fulfilled them all. These are just a few here mentioned in this passage of Scripture. Look in verse 5. In order to register along with Mary who was engaged to him and was with child. Now, as I mentioned, Mary was with Joseph on this journey. She was great with child. She was near the time of delivering. And they were engaged. Now, to be engaged at that time was, was a greater level of commitment than what we think of our own engagement in this modern day. But it was short of being married. And we know for a fact, based upon the Scriptures, that these two had not had a sexual relationship. As a matter of fact, uh, Mary was confronted by an angel and told that she was pregnant with the Christ child. The Lord selected Mary because she was a woman of great grace. She was a woman, a pure woman, and she was not sinless. Uh, she needed the Savior just the way we need the Savior, but she certainly was a godly young woman and uh, wanted to serve the Lord, and she felt very unworthy. She was a humble woman, and uh, the Lord chose this young woman to bear the Christ child. And, of course, the angel also appeared to Joseph to inform him of what was going on. He had the option of expelling her. She could have been stoned to death for her being pregnant without being married. But Joseph, rather than do that, he became engaged to her. He was later married to her and loved her and protected her. That speaks about the character of Joseph who would serve as our Lord's earthly father. So here is the place of the arrival. Then we see the setting of the arrival. Look at verse 6 and following. Verse 5 says, In order to register with Mary who was engaged to him, and was with child, verse 6, while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. Obviously, she had not had a child before. She had not had sexual relationships with any man. And she wrapped him in cloths. These were strips of cloth. They would wrap around the baby. It would provide a sense of security for the child and also serve to keep the child warm. So she wrapped Jesus in these cloths and laid him in a manger. A manger was simply a trough. It was a, a trough. You would put feed in the trough, presumably hay, to feed the animals. And this denotes the lowliness with which Jesus came to this earth. He was not born in a palace, but he was born in a stable. The Bible goes on and says here in the latter part of verse 7 that he was laid in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And when it says inn, it's not talking about holiday inn. It's not like a hotel that they had that there was no vacancy for. But in that day, in many homes, they had a place where family could come and stay. Someone passing through could take advantage of that. But keep in mind, the census was being taken. So this small little town, this Bethlehem, was filled not just with its regular citizens, but it was filled with people coming from afar so they could participate in the census. So when Mary and Joseph arrived, there was no room for them. It was not that the people were trying to be rude. It's just that there, there was no room. And the only possible exception was a cave out back. And when we think of stable in our 
vernacular, we think of this wooden structure like a barn where we keep animals. But in that day, they used caves a lot for the animals to be housed at night to get in out of the weather, to get in out of the cold or the dampness. They would sometimes feed them in there. So that's way, the way they would keep their animals. And so uh, we believe it was likely that a cave served as the gathering place for these animals. And that's where Jesus was born. The last time I went to Israel, I took a group down into Bethlehem to this location, went by the shepherd's fields there and you can still see sheep out in the fields being cared for by shepherds and there are caves in the area and one particular cave uh, is where they've, they, they believe Jesus was born and there's a church that is built on that a, a structure known as the church of the nativity and uh, we went in there went into the caves and were able to see this location it helps you to visualize what it must have been like on that night so long ago when Jesus was born in that stable and he was laid in a manger. And again, I underscore for you that when Jesus came, he came to live a lowly life, a life of humility to identify with every single person. He was not born as an elite, although he was the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He descended to this lowly earth and he can identify with every single person, no matter how rich you are or how poor you are, Jesus came to all people to provide salvation to all who would by faith trust him. And so he was laid in this manger because there was no room for them in the end. The light of the world coming into the darkness of this lowly earth. Down in South Georgia and even here in North Georgia, in the summer times you get these pop-up thunderstorms. Is that right? Some of them can be quite severe. But I do think that there is a beauty to them when you see them as they're building up and begin to lighten and uh, the, the lightning is coming out of them. You hear the thunder rolling. You see the approaching rain and the, and the wind begins to blow. It's an amazing thing to watch develop. But as some of these storms continue to build and get stronger and stronger, uh, they will cause your electricity to go out because invariably... Uh, uh, a limb or trees blown over and it it hits a power line and so the lights are out and I know when we were down in South Georgia the lights seemed to go out there more often it's more rural and um, what you would do when the lights go out is probably what you do you just kind of light a candle if it's, if it's the dark if it's nighttime and you sit and you wait for the lights to come back on and when I was a kid of course we didn't have a cell phone we could get on and play with and all that kind of stuff. You just kind of waited. And you might wait for several hours there in the darkness with a couple of candles lit uh, while you were just hoping that the lights would come back on. And then all of a sudden when they came back on, a cheer would be let out. Everybody would be so happy that now we've returned to civilization. Lights are back on. We're happy. Everything's great in the world. The world was groping in spiritual darkness when Jesus, the light, came into the world. And when he began to shine his brilliant light of glory for all to see, his presence was celebrated. We see the celebration beginning here in Bethlehem. You'll see it 
by the time we come to the end of this text. And we still celebrate today because there's reason to be happy. There's reason to have joy thinking about what Jesus has done, how he has come to this lowly earth to bring salvation to all people. And friend, there's reason to rejoice because there's been the arrival of joy so long ago that we still feel today. We should be filled with joy. Now, not everybody's filled with joy. Not every Christian has joy. There are some Christians who have lost their joy. Why? Because they're no longer focusing on Jesus. Friend, if you take your eyes off of Jesus and begin to look at your circumstances, you will lose your sense of joy. And I've known people throughout my ministry who were facing some very difficult circumstances, but yet they had a sense of joy and peace in their lives. And then I've known some who it seemed as if they had everything a person could possibly ever want, but yet they were lacking in joy. What is the difference? The difference is perspective. If you begin to look at your circumstances and how bad things are and how terrible they are and how bad you feel, how terrible the world is, you're going to lose your sense of joy. But if you keep your eyes on the joy that entered into this world 2,000 years ago, you should be able to rejoice because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And we must walk in that joy by keeping our focus on the Lord. Now, some may say, well, how do I do that? Well, first of all, you have to realize that Jesus is indeed the light of the world. And the reason he came to this lowly earth was to save sinners. He himself said, I have come that they might have life and have it in abundance. He also said, I have come to seek and save that which was lost. Jesus came on mission to this earth. And the reason is because he loves us. Now, I know sometimes we're not very lovable. And I understand that we're all sinners. The Bible says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. No matter how old you are here or how young you are, I'm telling you, you're in desperate need of Jesus because you're a sinner. Now, I know that's not very popular today. We like to talk about how good we are and congratulate ourselves about how advanced we are as a culture. Do you really think the culture is advanced? Look around, read the papers, listen to the news, and you see that we are struggling with the same problems we've always had, even more intensely now than perhaps ever before, and that is because we have a sin problem. We're sinners by nature, and we're sinners by choice. There's something within us as a bent towards sin that we inherited from our parents dating all the way back to Adam and Eve. And then we act out that sinful condition in our behavior. Many times when we're given an opportunity, we choose to sin. And we can try not to sin. We can hope not to sin. But still, even though we may try to do our best, we still fall short of God's holy standard because we're sinners. And friend, that's bad news. That's bad news. But there's good news. And the good news, even though we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, God sent forth His Son, the Lord Jesus, into the world that we might be saved. Friend, that is the gospel. That is the good news. That's why we celebrate. And notice the announcement of this good news is the announcement of joy. 
we see in verse 8 that this news was announced to shepherds. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, you need to understand something about shepherds. Uh, the position of a shepherd is not one of, of exaltation. These were lowly people. They're not the elites of the culture. They're somewhere closer to the bottom of the rung on the ladder. I mean the very bottom. And uh, it is these people that God decided to tell first of all that Jesus had come. He doesn't come to the king and tell him. He doesn't come to the government and tell them. He comes to the lowly shepherds out in the field watching over their sheep at night. He announces to them this most glorious news as they're out doing their jobs in the field watching their flock, protecting them from thieves and protecting them from animals, making sure they're safe and sound just the way the good shepherd does to us today. And so there on that night was announced to them that Jesus had come into the world. And then we see this announcement came by angels. Verse 9 tells us, And the, an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. Here this angelic being appeared before them, in shining apparel with the glory, the brilliance of the presence of God there in that place. And when they saw this creature, they were overwhelmed with fear. And friend, you would be too if you saw an angel like this. I'm telling you, you and I would be afraid. I, I, I can just assure you of that because they had never seen anything like this beautiful angel standing before them to announce this good news. And notice in verse 10 we read, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news. Can you say good news? Good news. I said it one more time. Good news. Do you need good news? Well, I'm glad you do. I have some for you this morning. I'm going to tell you about it in just a moment. It says to bring you good news of great what? joy which will be for all the people not just a select few but for all people good news of great joy has come the good news is even though we're all sinners and we all deserve death hell and the grave we're sinners by nature by choice and because we're sinners death comes to us not just physical death not just spiritual death, we're born spiritually dead, but eternal death if something doesn't change before we die physically. See, if you are spiritually dead, and, and we all are at birth, we're spiritually dead. David said, in sin did my mother conceive me. The Bible says in Romans that there's none righteous, no, not one, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all dead spiritually, Ephesians chapter 2 Verses 1 through 3 speaks about spiritual death for those who have rejected Christ. So we're all dead spiritually. When we die physically, if we are still spiritually dead, we will be dead eternally. Now, that doesn't mean we will cease to exist. 
But it does mean that we're separated from life. That is God. He is life. Jesus himself said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So that's our condition. It's a condition of death, spiritual death, physical death, eternal death. But now the good news is that God has sent life into the world to redeem us. Jesus did not come just to help you get better. Jesus did not come just to help you to overcome your sin. He came to give you a resurrection because you and I are spiritually dead at birth. We need a resurrection, not just to try to do better. And see, this is where confusion comes in. There are many people who are trying to do better. They think, okay, if I quit cussing, if I stop watching R-rated movies, if I stop drinking and smoking dope, if I start being nice to people and attending church, reading my Bible, well, listen, all those things, it's good to, to, to do that. There are some things we need to stop doing. There are some things we need to start doing. But I'm telling you, you could start right now and strive to live a life of perfection, which you cannot achieve, by the way. And it would not be good enough to make it to heaven because we're sinners. God knows this, and so he sent Jesus into the world to live without sin. Jesus was tempted in every area as we are tempted, yet he never sinned. And he willingly died on the cross, bearing the penalty for our sins, so we could be forgiven. And he was raised from the dead by God the Father, so we could have eternal life. So we pass from death unto life. No longer are we considered sinners, now we are declared to be saints. The righteousness of Christ is imputed to us at the moment of salvation when we acknowledge we're sinners, believe Jesus is the Savior, and surrender our lives to Christ by faith. We are forgiven of our sins, past, present, and future. And friend, let me tell you something. That's some good news. That's, a, that's good enough news to make a, a Baptist want to shout. That's good news. That's, what's, that's what Christmas is all about. And friend, you can lose that in the hustle and bustle of the daily affairs of this time of year. When things don't go your way, or maybe you're by yourself, you feel a sense of loneliness, maybe even a hopelessness, don't forget what Jesus came to do for you. He is the greatest gift of all. Jesus did not come so you can continue to have self-pity and mourn and grieve and feel a sense of unworthiness and loneliness and hopelessness. Oh, no, as I mentioned before, Jesus came that you might have life and have it in abundance. He came to give you that joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. So here we are in this verse, we see the good news of great joy came to all people. Verse 11, for today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Again, we hear the emphasis of the city of David, 
the Savior of the world, Christ, which is the anointed one, the Messiah, this is a clear statement about who Jesus is, that he is the Messiah. People have been waiting for thousands of years for him to arrive on the scene. We see the first messianic prophecy in the book of Genesis chapter 3. That's 4,000 years before this moment. Here we are 6,000 years removed. And now we have the whole picture clearly presented to us through his coming, his sinless life, his sacrificial death, his glorious resurrection, his great ascension, his promise to return and to set up his kingdom on this earth and rule and reign in righteousness and ultimately give us a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness as we go into the eternal state, what we call heaven. We have reason to be rejoicing this morning. We should have joy in our hearts because of what Christ has done. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He is the one prophesied to be born from the lineage of David in a town called Bethlehem. Verse 12 tells us this will be a sign for you. You will find the babe wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. In other words, this is how you can identify this child. Now, Jesus was not the only baby in Bethlehem that night, I'm quite sure. But I'm positive he's the only baby wrapped in cloths lying in a trough. That's not a place for a baby, is it? Would you place your baby in a trough? This is all they had. These extremely poor people. They had to use what they had access to. And Jesus was placed in a trough. And so now the shepherds know exactly what to look for. A baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger, a trough. So they go to looking, no doubt. And we see here, verse 13, And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Great statement here. We are told that appearing with this angel, all of a sudden the, the, the spiritual eyes of those who were there were able to see in reality this heavenly host of creatures created by God to give Him glory, and they're praising God. They are exalting Him. They're glorifying Him on this blessed night. And they say, glory to God in the highest Yes, glory to God. Jesus is the glory of God. He is God incarnate. He is God wrapped in human flesh. He's the eternal Son of God. He's always existed, and here He is now on this earth glorifying God and revealing the glory of God to the people on earth. And the earth, peace among men. On earth, listen to that, on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. Jesus came to bring peace between us and the Father. There's enmity between us and the Father. The Bible says that we are enemies of God. You say, well, I'm not an enemy of God. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. The Bible says those of us who do not know Christ as our Savior, we have positioned ourselves as his enemy. We are in rebellion against him. But God has come to make peace with us. 
And because of the peace he is able to give to us, we can have peace within us and with other people. If you're looking for peace apart from Jesus, you're never going to find it. And what I've discovered is there are many people who are looking for peace, but they're looking in all the wrong places. They're looking in some type of sexual experience or some kind of drug, something they drink, alcohol is a drug, or some pill they swallow to make them feel better, to help them escape pain and anguish that they're facing. Let me tell you what happens when you use something like that to escape reality. You still have the same problems you had before, but now you don't have the mental capacity to deal with them. You have a bigger problem. And things begin to snowball out of control. It doesn't have to be that way. Why? Because Jesus came. He came to give us peace with God, peace with ourselves, and peace with each other. Why is there so much conflict in the world and dissension? It's because people don't have peace. You can't have peace with others if you don't have peace with God and peace with yourself. But Jesus has come to deliver that peace. And friend, when you're living in a state of peace, what accompanies peace? Joy. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. That's why Jesus came to this earth. So this announcement to the shepherds by the angels that joy had arrived in the world. Good news is always worth hearing, right? Sometimes I come in late at night and I'm wide awake and I'm ready to talk. But Sonia, she's used up all her verbiage through the course of the day, not sparing any. And she is ready for sleep. So I'm going to tell you a little secret. Don't tell her I told you this. She was in the other service. She already knows this, I must confess. But what I've learned I could do is just simply say, Honey, I have some good news to tell you, but I know you're sleepy right now. Just remind me in the morning I'll tell you. Well, she sits up in the bed and she says, no, you'll tell me now. I want to hear it now. So I wake her up and she's ready to engage in conversation. <laughs> I mean, if I really get in a pinch, I can say, honey, the good news is I'm home. <laughs> so I'm not lying, you see, but I wake her up. But of course, we have some good news too, don't we? As I mentioned, the best news of all is that Jesus has come into the world. Jesus saves. That's good news, and we need to tell it. People are asleep. People need to be awakened to the good news. They need to know that there is a Savior who loves them and who will save them if they will trust Him and by faith receive Him. So we've talked here about the arrival of joy, the announcement of joy. Now let's look at the acts of joy. You cannot be exposed to this truth and be the same. There will be a difference in your life. Amen? Your behavior will change. Your demeanor will change. And that's what Christ does in our lives. Notice with me the acts of joy. There's the act of going. Verse 15, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then 
and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. Notice action follows this revelation. They begin to step forward. They begin to move out from the shepherd's fields. They go straight to Bethlehem then to see the thing that has happened that the Lord had revealed to them. So they have to go. Whenever you know about Jesus, friend, you cannot stay still. You can't just remain the same. If you know him, if you're walking with him, you're going to be compelled to go and tell. Not only do they go, but they also tell. The act of telling we see in verses 16 and following. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known. Notice that. They made known. That means they told what they knew. They made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. I love to see how the shepherds, once they got the truth, once they received this revelation, they could not stay silent. They could not remain where they were. They had to go out and see more and learn more and tell about what they knew. Friend, that is a natural response to anyone who's come to faith in Christ is to go tell somebody about it. By the way, the one, one of the best ways you could tell, one of the first ways and one of the best ways you could tell others about Jesus is through your baptism. Your believer's baptism where you are immersed in the water and come out of the water is a picture of what Christ has done. It's a way you're telling that you have identified with Christ Jesus. You've asked him to save you. He has washed your sins away and now you're walking in obedience with him and new life. You've been raised as a new person in Christ Jesus. That's the act of telling. So we need to go and we need to tell people about what Jesus has done for us. And when we tell them, they will ponder these things. It will plant a seed in their hearts that can grow to maturity. So we need to go and we need to tell. I love what this passage says, that they were telling about the Christ child. They made known the statement that had been told to them. You know, when I, uh, when I was born, my parents were taking me to church. And you've heard the old saying that my parents took me to church six, uh, nine months before I was born. And that certainly was true for me. And uh, I, I always remembered going to church my my parents would not just send me or drop me off at church they would actually take me to church with them and we were there Sunday morning Sunday night Wednesday night revivals came we were there we were always there and through that time I learned a lot about the Lord I mean I heard literally thousands of sermons and having been in the ministry now for over 30 years, I have preached thousands and thousands of sermons. And I've studied many, many hours. I have a master's degree, a doctorate's degree in studying theology. But let me tell you, there's always more to learn about Jesus. Let me tell you, you'll never find the bottom of this book. You'll never find the bottom of this book. There's always more to learn. And the more I learn about Jesus, the more I'm amazed and the more I want to know about him. 
He's, he's the loveliest of all. He's the glorious Savior. He's the good shepherd. And there's so many things about this eternal God to know and to learn and to apply that is transformative in your mind and in your life. I want to know more and I want to know more. And that's what going and telling is about. You're learning more and you're telling what you're learning and you're growing along the way. And then there's the act of worshiping. Look in verse 20. Here the Bible says the shepherds went back. Where did they go to? They went back to their fields. But now they're, they're different. They're glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and notice seen. They'd heard about Jesus, but now they had seen him just as had been told them by whom? By, by the angel. And here they are rejoicing. They're, they're praising the Lord. They're worshiping the Lord. Can you imagine that a shepherd out in, in the field around Bethlehem, how, what a difficult life that must have been? Hard life. These people were poor people. They worked extremely hard. And the life expectancy was nowhere close to what it is today. But here these shepherds are, and they are glorifying the Lord. They're praising Him. That tells me that they are filled with joy in their hearts. And there's something about having an encounter with God a fresh new encounter with him that brings about this sense of joy that is overflowing in your life, that is expressed through worship of God. These are some of the acts of joy, going, telling, worshiping God. And that should, should be found among all of us as Christians. I read the story some time ago about a church where a pastor passed out helium-filled balloons before the service to all the congregation and he asked them to release their balloon during the service when they felt like expressing the joy in their hearts all throughout the service balloons were being released but at the end of the service somewhere around one-third of all the congregation still had possession of their balloons Many of God's people don't act joyfully because they have lost their joy. If your joy is gone, let me tell you how to get it back. Think about what God did for you when he sent Jesus to be our Savior. When you begin to think about what God has done for you, it will be transforming in your heart. If you understand the real meaning of salvation, you will not be able to help but feel joy in your heart. It will be present. You will sense it. You will feel it. You'll be thankful for it. Proverbs chapter 17 verse 22 tells us, A joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. I want you to know that the only true and lasting joy comes from having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. To know Jesus brings joy. To know Jesus is to love Him. To love Him is to trust Him. 
To trust Him is to serve Him and worship Him. To know Jesus is to know joy. And that's what the world needs, does it not? The world needs the joy of Jesus. And we have the message to share with them about Christ and all He can do in their lives. It's my prayer for you that you will be filled with the joy of the Lord, not just during this Christmas season, but throughout your lives.